0: show for you. I've no idea what I'm doing. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have I got a show for you. Welcome to this episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast, and if you're listening to it, that makes you one of the friends. I hope you've been having a great fall. I've been so busy that uh, I just realized this is the first episode in almost three months, so I hope you're still subscribed, and I I hope you're ready to have some fun. I've got a brand new song this week. I've got a really amazing announcement, and uh, (laughs) I've got some stories to tell, so uh, I'm glad you... You're here with me and uh, let's do this. Let's do a podcast. So first of all, the most exciting thing, I got accepted to my very first artist residency. I've, I've never gotten to do an artist residency. I know that it's a thing that people do, but this is so like this is so me uh, that my very first artist residency is an artist residency on a tall ship. A three-masted, brigantine-rigged tall ship called uh, the... Oh, oh, no, I've totally forgotten the name of the ship. I feel ridiculous that I've forgotten the name of the ship. Fortunately, I have my computer here, and I could just look it up. Uh, uh... <laughs> oh, this is so funny. I, I, I'm, like, completely, like, so flummoxed talking about this that uh, I, I I've forgotten... <laughs> forgotten the name of the ship but so it's this artist residency on this tall ship in the arctic circle and it's this this thing where they they have 10 artists and 10 scientists and they sail them up into the arctic circle aboard this tall ship and the artists make art and the scientists do sciency things and it's just It's this wild, incredible experience that I get to go on uh, because apparently they liked the, oh, it's the Tall Ship Antigua. I just I just found it here. Yeah. So I applied to this uh, artist residency program. I'm going to be making an original fringe show based on my experience. And they 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 accepted me. <laughs> I, even though I've I've known that I was accepted for a couple months. It's just like it's mind boggling. So in April of next year, I'll be on this tall ship. I have to fly to Svalbard which is an island up north of Norway. If you've read The Golden Compass, that's where Jorik Bjornsson lives. Uh, I'm a big Golden Compass fan, so I like talking polar bears. I don't know if there are any talking polar bears up there in the real Svalbard. I'll probably find out. Anyway, so I'm going to go do that. And I'm doing a Kickstarter to sort of raise some of the funds to go on this expedition. So you can go over to Kickstarter uh, and check out Uh, Arctic Accordion is the name of the Kickstarter. It should be pretty easy to find. There's also like a link in my Instagram bio and all that kind of stuff. Uh, It ends November 28th at 12.01 a.m. So basically November 27th at 11.59 p.m., last chance. Uh, If you back it, I'll send you a series of these little zines that I've written, six tiny zines talking about six different pieces of equipment I'm taking on the expedition. But more about that later. I want to actually do like a full-on Strangely and Friends episode. It's been way too long. I've written some stuff for it. I've got a sample of one of the zines coming up for you later. But uh, for now, let's keep the episode going. Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who imposed this rule? King Lear. While it may seem almost redundant to recommend anything by Shakespeare, given his nigh-unassailable place in the Western canon, it can occasionally help to be reminded. I'm taking a moment to provide such a reminder, as I myself have finally taken the time to read this glorious play and found it amusing, insightful, and haunting. Thanks to the explanatory notes in the Oxford Shakespeare version I got my grubby mitts on, I was charmed to learn that the authorship of the play King Lear is occasionally disputed, and even the text itself has at least two official versions. And what a text it is! I cannot help but wonder if much of the continued appeal of the bard's work stems from its abundance of quality roles. When even a random background servant can suddenly become overwhelmed by the action of the play and leap forward to engage in dramatic mortal combat with a villain, the possibilities seem endless. Sure, the big showy hero and villain roles get most of the press, but one can easily imagine a lesser player getting just as much mileage out of a cocked eyebrow. Grab a pint, grab a play, and read. So I mentioned up at the top that one of the things I'm sending out to Kickstarter backers will be these tiny zines talking about different pieces of equipment or things I'm bringing with me to the Arctic Circle aboard the tall ship Antigua. And this is the full text of one of those tiny zines. Uh, This is called Shorts, and I will read it to you now. This is one of six tiny zines that will be sent out And this isn't quite the final text because there will be a little bit of changing once it's formatted into the printed zine form But this is basically it so I hope you folks enjoy shorts These are my little red running shorts in the parlance of their manufacturer They are known as quote five inch net liner track shorts unquote while some performers prefer to work quote without a net I do not subscribe to such asceticism. Indeed, the highly engineered nature of these shorts is crucial to me. After all, I spend hours and hours in them. For the better part of the last decade, I have run at least 30 miles a week, a number that climbed to well over 50 once the COVID-19 pandemic hit. But I value these shorts not just as a piece of sports equipment, but also for the emotional support they provide. Running allows me to push my nervous energy, confusing emotions, and other frustrations into my body and then radiate them out into motion. This may sound a bit wooey, and I must admit, rereading that last sentence did make me roll my eyes. The truth remains, however, crystal cruncher it sounds, that there is something so primally satisfying about running for miles and miles with nothing but one's own thoughts, or the companionship of a good book. I rarely listen to music while I am running, preferring instead to allow my mind to engage with literature or difficult concepts. During my final year of university, I produced my best work while reviewing my notes as I ran, letting a text-to-speech program on my mobile read them to me aloud. Sometimes I would have to stop, sit down on the ground and scribble more ideas into the little notebook I carry while running. The same software also allowed me to cover hundreds more pages of original sources for my research than I would have been able to engage with if I was only reading printed pages held in my hands, something I still do for several hours every day. But it is not just about productivity hacks and feeling healthy. Running's value goes deeper than that. It is a critical piece of my ongoing mental health. If something seems terrible, insurmountable, unfaceable, all I need to do is go for a run. I've never made a secret of the fact that my life is an ongoing battle against suicidal depression. Over the years, I've found that being more physically active is one of the few things that seems to make that battle a little easier. The thought that I have covered some ground keeps the darkness at bay, even on days when I feel like I have accomplished nothing else. And even finishing a run can be an accomplishment in itself. Years ago, I chose to run wearing shoes with little to no cushion. This forces me to move with extreme care, paying attention to every single footfall. It is not difficult to put aside vague existential crises when you are faced with the much more immediate crises of careening down a muddy hillside without even a pair of cushioned shoes to absorb the impacts of your feet. Even in moments of leisure, the shorts can provide comfort. They are a quick-drying garment, equipped with a mesh liner made from some space-age material that I could not even name, (laughs) probably not even pronounce. I have the unfortunate tick of never feeling dry after a shower. It does not matter how vigorous I am with a towel or generous with a bottle of menthol zinc oxide. I always need a few moments to air dry after my ablutions. This, more than anything else, is why I deeply loathe visiting my mother's family in Michigan as a child, as the never-ending humidity made it feel like being dry was impossible. Thus, mesh-lined shorts become a formidable tool of basic courtesy if one needs to be decent while drying in the small cabin on a ship with a randomly assigned bunkmate. Speaking of menthol zinc oxide, I don't know what I would do without that particular piece of equipment. Commonly sold in the United States as gold bond powder, this magic substance can help absorb moisture under your clothing. People are often amazed at my ability to wear multiple layers of costumes on stage without dying. A liberal dusting of moisture-absorbent powder is the secret, although it can have unintended side effects. Several years ago, I was approached in Edinburgh by a furtive fellow fringe performer, Upon pulling me aside, my cabaret compatriot asked if I knew where one could acquire some cocaine. I was initially taken aback, having never purchased the substance in question. I made my apologies with as much politeness as I could and went about my business. I was confused. Why would anyone think I knew where to buy cocaine? The mystery was solved a few weeks later by a Scottish friend, who heard the story and said, strangely, You always go into the toilets for a moment before your show and come out dusting white powder off your trousers. Then you go into the theater and raise utter bedlam. You do the math, boyo. Mental health and moisture practicalities aside, there is a third reason my shorts are always with me during my peregrinations about the globe. I would be lying if I said I did not derive a great deal of pleasure from what I think of as the legend of the Little Red Running Shorts. While they are a mass-produced item from a major sporting goods manufacturer, it seems that very few pairs of these particular shorts end up in the places I tend to frequent. It is common for people in my hometown to tell me that they saw me and my little red shorts running in some far-flung part of the county. The little red shorts can also serve as a kind of disguise. This is especially true in those places where people are less familiar with my face and only used to seeing me in a three-piece suit. During my first jaunt down to Australia, most of the places I found to stay were between four and five miles away from my performance venue in the city center. Since I had recently received my red running shorts, I happily turned my commute into a run. This also provided bene- <clears throat> This also proved beneficial, as I had no money whatsoever for niceties like bus fare or, heaven forbid, a taxi ride. During one memorable commute, I saw an acquaintance of mine, Sean, a sideshow barker by trade. Excited, but here's a fun little fact just for you podcast folks. Sideshow barkers in Australia are referred to as spruikers. Spruikers. (laughs) That's a fun little word for you. Excited, I adjusted my course, dashing toward him, full of boisterous energy. As I ran closer and closer to Sean, the look on his face changed from confusion to brusque annoyance with just the slightest hint of fear. Just before I got close enough to touch him, his face broke into a grin. Oh shit, strangely, I didn't recognize you thought I was going to have to punch a lights out. Sometimes the case of mistaken identity goes even further, with people assuming I'm something even stranger than, well, strangely. One time while visiting Finland, I did what I always like to do. I woke up in the morning, got dressed, and went out for a run. The fact that it was early November and the temperature was a handspan below freezing didn't bother me. As Cal Newport writes in his book Digital Minimalism, You will be surprised how much more enjoyment you derive from being outdoors if you shift your definition of good weather. As I zipped along through whirling flurries of snow, I passed a bundled old lady pulling a shopping trolley. With a dark twinkle in her eye, she mumbled what sounded like, Yahirvi. Assuming she was just being crotchety I did not think much of it, until several miles later when I passed a group of young men who looked like they were walking home from a night of drinking. One of them caught my eye and shouted something like, ''Yahirvir!'' Which was weird, and then he gave me a thumbs up and waggled his eyebrows. One person calling you something out on the street might be random, but not when it comes from two people who probably do not know each other. Upon arriving back at my mate's flat, I asked what ''Yahirvir'' meant. He was puzzled as I tried to shape the unfamiliar syllables. ''Was it "yahirvio"? he asked. Yes, I replied. That's it. Yahirvio. He smiled and repeated the word a few more times until he was satisfied I got it. I think, he said, based upon what you wear while you are out running, that people are surprised you do not freeze. Yahirvio means ice monster. Even the way the shorts came into my possession speaks to my whimsical relationship with this gossamer contraption of science fiction fabric. Almost a decade ago, just prior to leaving on my second European tour, I happened to be out for a walk on a crisp fall afternoon, only a few clouds scudding by in the sky above. I cannot quite remember how it happened, but I found myself making eye contact with a person sitting behind a desk in a large open plan office somewhere in Seattle. Perhaps one of the office workers happened to look up just at the right moment and caught my eye, or I might have stopped and looked at them through the thick plate glass windows, enjoying, as I occasionally do, the illusion that I was looking into a zoo exhibit of homum officium. Regardless, I found myself smiling and nodding to the desk-bound workers, feeling bad that they were stuck inside on such a lovely day. In a moment of inspiration, I swept my hat off my head, grinned conspiratorially, and tossed it upwards like a pancake. The hat landed solidly on my head, eliciting appreciative stares from beyond the glass. I made a slight, ta-da, gesture, which provoked a mime of applause. One of the office workers held up a finger and ran out of the room, returning a moment later with four or five more audience members. They all looked at me expectantly. I repeated my performance with the hat and then followed it up with an impromptu juggling show involving the hat my wallet and my notebook upon catching the notebook my wallet in the hat i looked inside again to find utter pandemonium almost 20 people were watching me now laughing and clapping at the nonsense i was perpetuating i gave them a deep bow and skipped away content that i had brightened the afternoon of a passel of strangers the next morning I received an email from one of the employees of the company. They were delighted to have witnessed my antics and a video of me had been circulating around their office. By way of thank you, the marketing department wanted to send me a pair of their running shorts. Once they learned that I was an avid I'm sorry, the marketing department wanted to send me a pair of their running shoes. <laughs> Once I should fix that typo. Once they learned I was an avid runner, they also included a full set of running clothing including the legendary little red shorts. While the rest of that outfit is long gone, including one of the shoes, which was stolen in Australia, the shorts have remained. It might seem strange, this ode to a piece of sporting equipment, but I do spend a great deal of my time in my shorts. It's odd to me that we do not find more art in praise of things like favorite chairs, mattresses, or pairs of shoes. We spend so much time with so many of these everyday objects that we forget just how intimate our relationships with them are, how much we rely on them. While I cannot guarantee these shorts will always be a part of my life, I can say for certain that I will always carry their little red spirit with me to the very ends of the earth. It's really fun reading that for all of you folks. I, uh, I just thought about the fact that uh, <laughs> that you know th- th- these these shorts you know they're they're important to me in this this weird way. Even though you know I probably should be writing more about accordions or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, you know it's it's always interesting. You know th- that line. I spend a great deal of time in my shorts. Uh, it reminds me of a fun little story that I'll just, just tell for you folks listening to the podcast. Um, there is a dialect of Scots Gaelic. I think it's Scots Gaelic or just Gaelic. There's a, there's a dialect that's spoken in parts of Scotland called Doric. And in Doric, people will say things like, uh, about Stibaid, which is their way of asking, where do you live? about Stibaid. Uh, and there's an old scots expression for trousers pants which is breeks so there was a night i was out drinking in scotland and i ran into a doric man and we were sort of chatting and he said then about Bide and i said and my breeks <laughs> needless to say he bought the next round hokey fright have you heard about Bulletproof Monk? Am I the only one who remembers this film? This 2003 oddity was an East meets West martial arts light action thriller starring Chow Yun-Fat. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I deeply love the dude and have nothing but respect for him. It also has Jamie King, Carl Roden, Victoria Smurfit, Mako Roger Yuan, and a cameo by my favorite siren from Lost Girl, Casey Collins. Oh, and Sean William Scott is also in it as the young streetwise thief that the bulletproof monk takes under his wing and eventually, spoiler alert, gives his powers to. But let's be honest, this is a turn of the millennium western made action flick directed by Paul Hunter, who is mostly known for music video direction. Some of them are good though, check them out, It's his work is pretty varied. You know how almost all of this is going to play out from the very moment you press play? For me, as soon as the film starts rolling, my veins course with Dr. Pepper, my fingers become orange with Dorito dust, and the scent of pizza fills the air. <laughs> what I'm saying is that this film takes me back, way, way back, to a place that I'm not sure I want to return to, and yet... I do often find myself enjoying The Visit. This film does have some redeeming qualities, don't get me wrong. The fights are loads of fun, and I'm always on board for some good old-fashioned Nazi punching. Also, watching Scott stretch his acting range and at least try to be a somewhat serious character is kind of touching and sweet. Especially in retrospect, thinking of the era in which this was made. Chow Yun-Fat seems to be having the time of his life performing Wire Fu while eating Cocoa Puffs and dispensing pseudo-Buddhist Koans about hot dogs and motivation. You get the sense his character is being a performative martial arts guru on purpose. The film really shines in the way it incorporates the prophecy motivating the monk. He has unconventional ways of interpreting lines like, he will fight to earn love. He, sorry, the line is, he has unconventional ways of interpreting lines like, he will fight for love in the palace of Jade. When all the prophecy has come to pass, you might be surprised to learn Stifler isn't the only person it applies to. I'm just saying J.K. Rowling was a little late to the more than one person can fulfill a vague prophecy buffet. Even if she did show up with a pickup truck and a snow shovel instead of a reasonably sized plate and a couple of forks like a normal person, J.K.! Why you gotta be all like freaking taking everybody else's fucking lunch? we're trying to enjoy a buffet Can jk seriously if you like dumb buddy action comedies give this a spin it beats beats watching lethal weapon for the 80th time and it has 0% mel gibson i'm not saying it's good but at least now you've heard of it song of the week this is a song that i have put i i I can't quite say i've written it but i've put it together you might say i am a huge fan of 17th and 18th century writing i just love the fact that printing presses were still kind of new and people were just messing about and in some ways, there was there was no rules. It's kind of like the early days of the internet when people were just like, "You can do whatever. It's great." You know, before things sort of got codified and and publishers became a thing. It was just like if you could make copies, you could say whatever you wanted. And one of the people who really took advantage of that was um, one of America's founding fathers, uh, Benjamin Franklin, who, for all many for all his many faults, he definitely had a way with words. Uh, in his Poor Richard's Almanac, which was, I mean. It, was, it wasn't quite a newspaper, it was a little bit more than a zine, but it was a little bit less than a newspaper. I don't know. In Poor Richard's Almanac, Franklin published over 200 synonyms for being drunk. These range from the admonishing, he's fettered, to the ironic, he's wise, he's strong, to the confusing, he's cogy, he's stubbed. But of course it's Franklin, so some of them are downright prurient. He's stiff. He's raised. He's soft. Uh, So I went and got myself the list or a list. I got a list of 200 terms and I have massaged them all into a song uh, to the tune of a popular ditty from Franklin's day. So this is called He's Biggie. Mary bewitched, burdock boughs Bent to a funeral Block and block, he's in his airs He's contending with Pharaoh Maudlin, Mountus, Muddy Been at an Indian feast Made an example, half and half His head is full of bees He's addled, he's afflicted Pissed in the brook, he's middling He sees the bears, he's kissed Black Betty Owes no man a farthing In his element, he's fishy Boxed, fuddled, sore-footed As drunk as a beggar, the king is his cousin Curved or worse, crump-footed He's Biggie! He's a dead man, been to France Got corns on his head, been in the sun a couple Much has drank, more than he has bled He's cat-cracked Cherry Mary Knows not the way home He's had a thump over the head With Samson's jawbone Seafaring, generous, trombical Fuzzily cuts his capers He's in his cups, halfway to Concord I hear he's got the glanders They say that he has taken Hippocrates' grand elixir Had a kick in the guts Throws his mouth He's in liquor Casting up his accounts Boozy cocked well in for it Took his drops has stole a man out of the brewer's basket Ben at Geneva Ben at Barbados Going to Jerusalem Zipped his bill He seen the devil Ben among the Philippians Ben among the Philippians that's, that's a Bible reference And no mistake He's oiled swamped, non compo, clips the king's English, and stole his senses, wamble cropped, took tide he's got a dish. He's right before the wind with all his studding sails out. Buzzy, busky jocular, as drunk as David sow. This next one is a particular favorite of me and my friends. He's got on his little hat, haunted with evil spirits. Raised his monuments, tippium grove, loose in the hilts, in the suds. Been too free with Sir John Strawberry. Got the nightmare, he drank tail, he gave up his half penny. Smelt of opium, pigeon night. he's got his top gun sails out. And opium See a flock of moons as stiff as a ring bull. He. He's at the coconut, he's burnt his shoulder. Religious, rich, double tongued, he's lost his rudder. He's disguised. He's eaten a toad and a half for breakfast. He's is catched, capable. Mixing dentures with his legs, you could say nymptopsical. He's been in the cellar, he's top bent to Jericho. He carries too much sail, drunk as a wheelbarrow. He has been in the bibbling plot He's bungly, chagrined, globular Fears no man loaded his cart He's seen the yellow star He's been among the Philistines Been too free with the creature He's chapball and killed his dog He's hit his copper He's Prince Eugene, got by the head Got a brass eye, his flag is out Booze the gate? spoke with his friend He has got the gout he has taken a chirping glass. It is a dark day with him as dizzy as a goose. Ben for George his shoe pinches him. Sir John, go out well to live. He's concerned; his skin is full. Got the polyvole, He's glad, cockeyed. He has scalded his head, pan, he's dagged, lordly, quarrelsome. Entered frozen, copy, flushed, top-heavy, oxychlorium, oxychlorium. There's a word for you. He's a king. He sees two moons, ragged, mottled, Grotable Got kipped heels. He's polite, like a rat in trouble. Seen the French king Het his kettle light, lappy limber got the horn, sun hammerish, went too free with Sir Richard he's rocky with both eyes, staggerish he's bridgy, hitty jag, chipper, good conditioned as a puppy topsy-turvy, Sir Richard has taken off his considering cap and a pudding bag, chicory jolly jambled, napped napped, K-N-A-P-T there you go two more verses, here we go He's out of the way, wasted his punch, It is his starlight with him. He's in a trance, mix Virginia fence, he has won a tavern token. He's been to the salt water, oversent his prosperity. Got the Indian papers, he stitched, he's very weary. He's thawed, trammelled, valiant, he's steady, half-seas over. Pretty, mellow, cramped, hearty, the malt is above the water. Pungy, glazed, cut, juicy, rattled, stewed, soaked, gold-headed. Tanned, he's wet, he's water soaking Tipsy, he's intoxicated. He's intoxicated! That was apparently a Frank plenty- what is the word synonym a franklinian synonymian (laughs) tipsy he's intoxicated (laughs) mailbag i am so excited i haven't made an episode in a little while and i've been sitting on this piece of mail that i'm really really excited to open this is from uh, dear friend and listener of the pod, uh, Marisha, and it says, to be opened on air, uh, one of these I owed you, the other one's just to see if you get the joke, both are from Tom Wall of Modern Vaudeville Press, I'm a big fan of Tom Wall, pal of mine, uh, so I'm opening this, and we'll see what's in this envelope, uh, do 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 ooh, couple of stickers, one says, got ugly concrete, and uh, uh, it says big top concrete resurfacing, got ugly concrete. Um, (laughs) I mean, you could put a circus tent on uh, on just about uh, any piece of ugly concrete. I'm not quite sure I get the joke. I mean, it kind of makes, when I pulled it out and it said got ugly concrete on this bumper sticker, I thought it said Coyote Ugly, which I'm a big fan of that film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, (laughs) But God Ugly Concrete, that's excellent. And the other sticker says, Juggler in the streets, alone in the sheets. (laughs) That is fantastic. Uh, If you wanna send me, (laughs) thank you so much, Marisha, and Tom Wall at Modern Vaudeville Press. Uh, If you want to send me something ridiculous in the mail that I will open on air or ask a question, or send a comment about the podcast, please send any of that stuff to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, number 11, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, As I wrap up this episode of the podcast, I just wanted to do one more shout out for my Kickstarter. It's, uh, it's already funded, but I just wanted to let any of you podcast listeners know that you can still get on board to get these little tiny zines in the mail from me. I'm sending out the first wave. Uh, th- there'll be one zine a week for f- six weeks. The first wave goes out on my birthday, December 11. Uh, go check out the Kickstarter, kickstarter.com. Just search for Arctic Accordion uh that should be pretty easy to remember if not i will also put a link to it in the show notes for this episode and uh yeah if you're listening to this you're probably already a patreon supporter but you can support this podcast and sort of some of my ongoing projects if you head over to patreon.com/strangely and uh, genuinely though as always thank you just for listening the amazing supporters on patreon help me have the motivation to make this podcast when i can Uh, through their kind uh, support and honestly I just I would do this nonsense even if nobody was listening so it's always wonderful that there's somebody out there listening so thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening I hope you're having a great fall so far and I will see you all hear you all we'll all connect whenever the next episode comes out. I should be back on a regular episode schedule for strangely and friends, the podcast starting in January. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. But, uh, I will have a birthday special talking about the books I read this year. It's, uh, it's over 130. Now I've read over 130 books this year and I've got a lot of thoughts about some of them. Uh, some of them, not so much, but stick around for that, uh, in this feed. And, uh, yeah, I hope you have an excellent day. That's it for me, Uh, I'll play myself out.